0: Father. Word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. All right. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. We spend our whole lives looking for grace and peace, don't we? We like grace and peace. Sometimes we think we found it, only to see it vanish like the bubbles in the kitchen sink left overnight. Grace and peace. How do we find grace and peace that lasts? We're not going to find it in the gym. We're not going to find it in that bucket of bluebell. We're not going to find it in a significant other. We will not find, How do we find grace and peace that lasts? We will not find it in our kids' obedience. We won't find it in our religious activities. All of these things are good, especially the bluebell, right? All of these things are good, but they cannot give us sustainable grace and peace. Even if we get a taste from those things, it disappears. Grace and peace. Um, Grace, Paul opens his greeting, ends, ends his greeting, opens this letter with grace and peace. And this word grace that he uses, charis, like charisma. It carries this connotation of things just work out. You know those people That just, man, that just fell their way. Never happens to us, right? But we always see someone else who's just, they've got it all together. Things just work out for them. Grace is unmerited favor. Something given to you that you did not deserve. God's grace cannot be earned by your religious activity, for your church attendance, for your prayer time. Those are good and important things. God does not give you grace for any other reason than you are a child, and he loves you. That is why we get God's grace. And peace, this idea of shalom. Paul's merging a a Greek greeting with a Jewish greeting. Grace and peace, shalom, carries this connotation of a wholeness, a soundness. You've, you may have um, experienced this sitting at a dinner, uh, just had great food, great company. The kids are not screaming at each other. There just seems to be everyone's working well together. Good relationships, no conflict, no arguing. Grace and peace, a fullness, a completeness. So Paul opens this letter saying, saints and faithful brothers and sisters, grace and peace to you from God our Father in the Lord Jesus Christ. We find grace and peace in Jesus alone. Uh, The Old Testament book of Exodus tells a story of, of God's chosen people, the nation of Israel. Being saved from slavery in Egypt, now, they're the people of God. They get that grace, not because they're awesome. If you've ever read the Old Testament, these people are not awesome. They're just like us. But they carry the name of Israel because they're chosen people. They're in slavery in Egypt. Not something they chose. Something that happened to them. Not something they wanted. When their, their freedom and their identity was taken from them. God had made promises to these people that they would have a land, that they would have a people, that they would have prosperity, physical and spiritual prosperity, that they would have grace and peace in the presence of God Almighty. But they find themselves in Egypt, surrounded by a culture worshiping over 1,500 different gods. Can you imagine that temptation as you walk to work thinking, I thought God promised us success. I thought God promised us prosperity. But here I am, a slave. And you see the temples. And you see the blood on the streets from the animal sacrifices. And you hear the worshipers. Oh, maybe there's something there. Maybe there's a little bit I can get from visiting the temple of Ra. Maybe there's something I can get that I can give to Isis. We can just go and make a a quick sacrifice and our kids will have food. We just go worship in the temple and we'll stop being a mockery of our neighborhood The church in Colossae was tempted in a very similar way. They're finding themselves Christians, a heaven, part of a heavenly kingdom, citizens of a heavenly kingdom, traveling through earth, right, in Colossae, surrounded by not just Roman gods, but also Jewish influence. And so they receive this gospel of Jesus, And worship him. But life as a Christian in first century Rome was not easy. I thought God promised me prosperity. I thought God promised me success. I thought God promised me grace and peace. And you see the animal blood on the streets. And you see the temples with the worshipers. Maybe there's something there you see where I'm going? Do you see the temptation that remains throughout all of human history to look to the world around us to say, maybe there's something there. Maybe there's something to my financial success that's going to keep me comfortable and safe and secure. Maybe there's something to these hits that I'm getting on social media that's going to keep me safe, that's going to make me likable, that says something about who I am. Uh, The the British New Testament theologian N.T. Wright shares in his book about first century Christians, the gods of Colossae were those associated with human needs of food, health, pleasure, and nature. Colossae was well supplied with gods that promised to satisfy such needs. The Christian church of the Colossians being pulled and pushed, tempted and often swindled into finding grace and peace in Jesus plus everything else. I can find salvation in Jesus, but I can find success somewhere else. I can find salvation and freedom from sin in Jesus, but I can fit in this other way. My unity with my people is found in something else. And this sounds a lot like the world that we live in, doesn't it? There, There's probably a lot less animal blood on the streets, but the temptations are the same. Our temples are a little bit different, aren't they? It's easy, for example, it's easy for for. Brian and I, to forget that this is not about us. Because we're the guys that God called to stand on stage. We get to talk to people. We get to make choices and set the budget. Um, I'm easily tempted to turn something like Redeemer's launch day into Ryan's launch day. <laughs> to make this whole thing not about God's glory, but about my glory. And so we're not overcompensating when we both get up here and say, hey, let's thank God. We're, this is a, a, a real-time living expression of the Holy Spirit convicting in us idolatry. Convicting in us a need for something that we're looking to your glory And the glory of our social media accounts and everything that the world has to offer churches nowadays. And we're turning, it's easy for us to turn those back on ourselves. There's a lot of good that God has done for us to get here. There's a lot of good that He's gonna do. And it's easy for me to find approval in what God is doing in His church. This is not mine. This is not Brian's. And so regardless of what happens at Redeemer, I can rest. I can celebrate the fact that I'm adopted and I'm approved of by my Father in heaven. And I don't need glory. I don't need approval. And so let me just ask you a couple of questions. Is Jesus your only hope for grace and peace? Or does Jesus have a seat next to your financial security? Is Jesus your only hope for right relationship with God? For your adoption and approval by your heavenly father? Or does your religious activity, your obedience have a say in who you are? Does the acceptance we get in Christ have a similar or even lower value to how we compare ourselves to being accepted by our peers? And Paul writes to the Colossians and it's the Holy Spirit writing to us, he knows our context that only Jesus Can give us grace and peace. Nothing else can be added. It's not not just that like Jesus is the best choice. It's that He's the only one. He disarmed all the other powers that even have a say or an influence in our identity. It's not that Jesus is the best choice of God to worship. Jesus is the only God to worship. It's the only way we have salvation. It's the only way we're made right before our God in heaven. It's the only way we get grace and peace in its fullness and deepest and richest and most complete sense that will never run out. Only Jesus. Israel, let's go back to Exodus. Stuck in a cycle of slavery in Egypt. A few hundred years. The surrounding temptations to say yes to God, the God of their fathers, and the God of Pharaoh. To Ra. Yes to Osiris. Yes to Isis this prolonged slavery cycle of temptation. And we see this moment of change when Israel cries out to God for help and God calls a slow and unimpressive man to lead the nation out of slavery. He calls Moses, reveals, God reveals himself to Moses as Yahweh, right? I am who I am and Yahweh saves his people the one and only god El Elyon god most high the god that makes all the other little g gods not even look like junior league he crushes them and disarms them through the 10 plagues and we see in the book of Exodus Um, that, that God disarms all the major gods of Egypt, sending a signal that he's disarming all of the gods of Egypt through the ten plagues. He blots out the sun, sends swarms of gnats and locusts, boils to grow on people's faces, turn the Nile to blood. Each plague is a direct statement to, God, to Egypt, that Yahweh is God above these other gods. God most high. That these other gods don't have the power to save. They don't have power over creation. They don't have the power even to love. And Yahweh saves his people through the ten plagues, through the disarming ...of these other gods. And then Yahweh sends a part of himself. Jesus. Jesus, the complete gift of God's grace and peace to us. We don't need anything else. The Apostle John tells a story uh, in chapter 8 of his um, telling of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus... Uh, the gospel according to St. John. He tells a story of a woman caught in sin. It doesn't matter what the sin is because we identify as that woman. Okay? And the religious leaders drag this woman into the temple where Jesus is preaching. They say, hey, we caught this woman in sin. What are you going to do about it? And there's a dialogue and there's Jesus does some weird things in the sand. And he's, he looks at the woman. After these religious leaders walk away, he disarms them. They walk away. And he looks at her in the eye and says, I do not condemn you. That's, what, that's grace and peace. That the God most high does not condemn us. We're told throughout the book of John that Jesus came not to take life, but to give it back to us. And he says, I do not condemn you. And while we do identify as this sinner, this woman caught in the act, dragged out of her home in the act of sin. Let us be careful to not inadvertently identify ourselves as the religious leaders who bring other people into the court and say, what are you going to do about this? Because in that moment, we are finding our grace and our peace in our abilities to say yes to God, in our ability to be obedient When we find our grace and our peace in Jesus, we get down in the dirt with him, and we can look at our brothers and sisters and say, I do not condemn you. And hear them say to us, I do not condemn you. Grace and peace in Jesus, only Jesus. Not in our church attendance, not in our religious duties. I'm harping on this because here in West Texas, this is real. Real. We put a lot of stock into what church we go to, don't we? This is day one of Redeemer. And I'm praying that for myself and my family and everyone at Redeemer, that we would not walk around church and think, well, I go to Redeemer. Oh, that person's got a TLC sticker. Or somebody, okay, I just moved back after six years of being gone. You know how strange it is to hear in almost every conversation, oh, hey, you're back. What are you doing? How's the family? And where are you going to church? I mean, I'm glad that the church it has such an influence in our city that that's important. But are we united to a, a church? Is our grace and peace found in Redeemer? Is our grace and peace found in where we sit on Sunday mornings? Absolutely not. Our grace and peace is found in only Jesus. He is the living embodiment of God's grace and peace to his people. And we get that when he says, sinner, I do not condemn you. The tenth and final plague is Yahweh's plan to free his people from slavery. Back in Egypt, it's the night of Passover. God had told Moses and he had told the people, of Israel that he would um, he, he set out the instructions for this dinner this Passover dinner <clears throat> and that they were to take a lamb the most spotless clean perfect lamb that they could find and to kill it and eat it and to take its blood and display it on the door frame okay a lot of us are familiar with this story They took unleavened bread, they drank bitter, Uh, they had bitter herbs and um, ate this meal as a family. And God instructs Israel to celebrate this meal and turn it into a feast, a holiday to remember that Yahweh saves because the very next morning of the Passover, God would let them walk free. The chains of slavery completely disarmed. Passover celebrates and remembers that Yahweh saves. And many, many years later, Jesus, the son of Yahweh, would come. Jesus, Yahweh himself, right? He would come. And during the festival of the Passover... This week-long celebration. The night he was arrested, Jesus took the unleavened bread and he called it his body that would be broken. That he identified himself with this lamb. This new Passover lamb to be sacrificed. And he instructed his followers to eat it. And then he took the wine representing the blood of the covenant that Yahweh saves the blood of this Passover lamb that's displayed on the doorposts. Jesus took the wine and he called it his blood that would be poured out. And he instructed his followers to drink it so that the blood of the new lamb would be displayed on their hearts. That Jesus and his salvation would be in you. Um, one more layer of parallel between these two stories. The name Jesus <clears throat> is what we get in English after translation. Does anybody know the, the Hebrew word Jesus? What, what's his name in Hebrew? Yes. Yeshua. Do you know what that means? Yahweh saves. The gods of our culture completely disarmed. Not just disarmed, but put to death so that we can walk free in life in only Jesus. Turning back to these other things, these elemental spirits, like Paul calls them, these temptations to just look for comfort and grace and peace and entertainment in a relationship us turning to those things instead of Christ is foolishness. Paul will say that it's empty, deceitful philosophy to find anything to add to Jesus, to put in the seat next to him. Yahweh saves. Just like God freeing Israel from slavery to Egypt and it's God. God sends us his holy, perfect, spotless son. Fully God, fully man. So that he would be our sacrifice. So that he, through him, we would be slave, We would be saved from slavery to sin and death. This is why there's nothing that compares. Because all these other elemental spirits, all these other gods, little g-gods, They can't love unconditionally. They can't give grace and peace that lasts forever. Only Jesus. And so this morning, during our last song and over the course of this sermon series, would you consider where are you finding grace and peace? What might you be elevating either to the same status as Jesus or maybe even higher? What brings you grace and peace? If you trust Jesus to save you from sin and death, you've got the Holy Spirit. If, you, if your faith is in Christ, he gives you his Holy Spirit and you can ask him because that's, I ask you to do that. It doesn't take five seconds. It takes a lifetime. Continue to ask yourself what am I finding grace and peace in? Start this morning. Don't stop this morning. This is the walk of a follower of Jesus. What are you following? Take time and pray and be still. Ask the Spirit to show you. I Personally, I like to journal. It helps me. Uh, I'm an external processor. Um, and so when my wife's not around for me just to talk to her nonstop, I, I have to journal. Write down my feelings. Write down what makes me angry. Or try to figure out what makes me angry. What's hurt me. Be honest with God and give him that part of your heart, that space where when we pray, whether we're writing or we're we're praying uh, verbally or internally, our prayer is not a place for us to perform. It's a place for us to be vulnerable to God and to share with him who we are. He already sees it and knows it. And so you're confessing it is is confessing it for yourself. God, would you help us find grace and peace only in you through your son, Jesus. Now this morning, we get to celebrate Jesus as our Passover lamb. We don't call it Passover. We call it communion or the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist. This is a special time as a church that we get to celebrate Christ in us. You're gonna hear that language a lot through Colossians. It's going to start next week when Brian preaches on the prayer of Paul and Timothy in Epaphras for the church in Colossae. So, would you? Um, we've got the the cups with the bread and the juice in the back next to the doors. Just get one. Take your time. I know they're a little awkward. You got to peel that top plastic piece off really gently and gingerly. Um, but just take it out, open, it, open the cup, and just hold the body and the blood of Christ. For those of you that believe that Yahweh saves, take the bread, take the juice, the body and the blood of Jesus broken and poured out for you. And remember that Yahweh saves Only Jesus. If you haven't put your faith in Jesus for your salvation, I hope that you'd reconsider. You have time this morning. Would you reconsider and would you join us if you make that choice to follow Jesus and to trust Him to save you from this cycle of sin and death? Let's pray.